but with football it was a it was a delicate song and dance because you had a little bit of you, you had bloods in there you had crips in there but they knew once they walked in their locker room it was green and white that's it In 1998, the National Football Foundation and Springfield College launched the Play It Smart program. It was a program that placed an academic coach to mentor high school football teams in at-risk or underserved communities. Its mission was to provide the power of amateur football in developing qualities of leadership, sportsmanship, competitive zeal, and the drive for academic excellence. So in 2001, the program was expanded in New Jersey, which brought me to the city of Newark to not only work with one school, but two, Westside High School and Weequay High School. To me, Newark was just the airport, but I quickly learned about the grit, the toughness, the obstacles that seem endearing to those that grew up in the largest city in the state. I learned to love and appreciate the city, not only for traveling there every day, but trying to show two groups of young men a world outside of it and trying to convince them the role they had to play to make Newark a better place when they got older. A few of those young men are now 35. Antoine Richmond, Tim Davis, and Hassan Augustine from Westside High School, and Antoine Johnson from Weekly High School. We will talk about our connection with the Play It Smart program and each other, what they learned or didn't learn, and how it shapes them today. We'll find out what they are doing and what lessons they are trying to instill in their children. By the way, there is some cursing in this episode. With that being said, let's start the show. So back in uh, 1998, it was kind of a uh, tough time for me vocationally. Uh, I just, you know, I'd gotten been married two years. My daughter was had been born, and um, I was in corporate America, and I really hated it. Probably one of the biggest things I didn't have a mentor like my dad advised me. When you're in corporate America, you know, because you have to find people that's got your back and will look out for you. Otherwise, you know, you can get chewed up pretty, pretty bad. And so uh, that didn't happen. And I was looking for a way to find meaning um, my life. And so one day uh, I was on a business trip to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, oddly enough, the radio didn't work. So I'm a big radio guy, I like listening to music. And so it was silent for the whole trip. I was just there thinking and and I, you know, felt God speak to me and said, oh, you should be a coach. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. You know, I can I can do that. I thought I was going to be a baseball coach. Uh, I love the Yankees. And so I pl- and I played in college and thought it would be perfect. Uh, well, you know, I did that for one year at Wayne Hills High School. And uh, since I wasn't a teacher, that ended very quickly. And so trying to find, you know, stay in the coach thing. Um, I found this program called Play It Smart. It was created in 1998 uh, by Al Petipa, and uh, it had been successful in Orange as well. It was one of the, in the original launches. And so uh, three years later, they brought it to Newark. Uh, they were looking for coaches, and I was like, oh, this sounds, this sounds great, you know, academic coach. But the wild thing about it, I knew nothing about Newark. The only thing I knew about Newark was the airport, and that was it. And, um, and they said, oh, you're going to work at Westside and Weekway. So I was like, okay, first, the first thing I did was I drove to fi- find out where these schools were. And so then who I'm going to bring on were 
four young men that I met in my first uh, year. Um, and so we're going to just talk about, one, what their experience was in the program, if they remember. You know, needless to say, we're going to talk about that. But not, not just that, how maybe the program shaped them. And then they're, they're grown up now. They are in the 35, 36. So they've done some living. And I just wanted to touch base with them to see uh, how they're doing. And so I'm going to bring them up. I have uh, from Westside High School, have, or formerly Westside High School, Tim Davis, Hassan Augustine, and Antoine Richmond. And from Weekway High School, I have Antoine Johnson. So, hey, fellas, what's up? What up, Coach? Hey, what's up? <laughs> you guys look well. It's been, been a minute since I've seen most of you. I'm taking you back. Give me a sense. What, what was Newark like for you, you guys, as 17-year-old football players? We'll let Antoine from Weekway go first. Well, you know, it was different, I would say. I, I think part of part of growing up in North Carolina is what shaped me to be who I am now, um, dealing with a whole bunch of stuff at a young age. You had, you know, especially when we was growing up at that time, it was, it, the games were big at that time. So it was like either you was blood, print, or you played the sport. Being in, being in football kind of got me out the street with like, you know, it was, you know, I went to school, I went to practice and went home. I didn't have time for nothing else. But it was, it was, it was a little rough. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I ain't going to say it was the easy, the, the hardest thing in the world, but it definitely wasn't the easiest. The week where I grew up in the weekway section because I went to weekway. It was a weekway section. It wasn't the same. Um, I did have to navigate through um, gang affiliations and people wanting me to join the gang and you on this side or you that side. Worry about what or the way to school because you know people be ready to fight you just because you got a blue shirt on or a red shirt. I always thought to myself like you know I didn't want to be status quo. So you know I might have grew up in the hood, but that wasn't the mentality that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had to fight, I had to fight. Still, you know, in you're North, you got to survive at the end of the day. But that ain't something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to be, you know, in that life. Football made it a little easier growing up, to be honest with you, because it didn't, I didn't have time for the, the foolishness. I didn't have time to get involved in none of the other stuff because I was focused on football in school. So it kind of helped me not even see that kind of side or worry about it. You know, it was rough going home after practice. It get dark in Newark, in Jersey, like at five o'clock. So, you know, going home from practice at eight, you know, eight thirty or whatever, it was a little rough, you know. But that was the part. That was the best part about having a football team because we go home together. You know, we all live in the same area, so we didn't have to worry. You know, so if a game came up, we had our own game. So great. All right, what about you, Hassan? Most people took it. You know, they they took it to heart. They was really trying to fight you with it and all that. Um, but with football, it was a it was a delicate song and dance because you had a little bit of you, you had bloods in there, you had crips in there. But they knew once they walked in that locker room, it was green and white. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the focus right here. So that's where it cut out. But then when you walk outside of that, and you got you know you got to navigate your hood and go home and catch the bus wherever you're going. You got to keep your head on a swivel. So you know, for most kids like myself, you know, football or sports in particular was just the safe haven. What about you, Tim? I'm originally from East Orange, so uh, with my parents, they every year I would go back and forth between them. So I done lived in Saraville, Piscataway, and all over. So when I came to North, it was I think my junior year. So it was a totally different, especially being from uh, East Orange, and people don't really like <laughs> people from East Orange anyway. <laughs> 
don't know why, but it is what it is. But um, with football, like they were saying, it was gangs and Udi, my best friend right there that's on right now. We were probably like the only want to be bloods on the on the football team in the in the crip school so <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine just after practice just yo what you looking at like they just knew because you know people it was a lot of crips on the team but like he said at all once we got in there it was about that green and white it was it was crazy 17 I, I had my son at 18 so i had a girl pregnant my senior year graduated when i was 17 and i went in the military when i was 17 so it was crazy Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what about you? Um, just to piggyback right off of that, um, I, I had a stepbrother, and he was, like, really into it, claiming that shit. If, if he got into anything, I'm going to have to rock with my brother. And I just so happen to like be me. there. <laughs> you know, you guilty by affiliation. I'm alone. They see me. They still see that color. You know what I mean? It's just like, even though I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rocking it, I'm not nothing, but they remember me with him. You know what I'm saying? They remember me fighting with him. I came into Westside. I was originally, I went to Orange High School, and I was a that was one of y'all was one of our biggest rivals. And I had just moved. I I, I grew up in Nook, but I went to Orange High. I transferred to Westside my senior year. Nobody liked me on the team because they remember me for playing from Orange High. And Tim took me under his wing. You know what I'm saying? Even though on top of the crib shit. Tim took me under his wing because, you know, we affiliated because of the blood shit. So ever since then, we've we been down ever since then. He took me under his wing in the, on the, in the locker room. Yeah, I didn't know. Is that why you kind of kept you kind of kept a low profile? Yeah, I always keep that. a low yeah. profile. I always keep a low profile. Never flashy. That's never been me. So then I'm introduced to you as your academic coach in the weight room. This is at Westside now. Do you guys remember that day? Vaguely, but <laughs> apparently, <laughs> but do you, apparently you said I said, uh, "Who is yeah. this guy?" <laughs> well, the thing is, the first thing that I remember, y'all clowned me because uh, Coach or I mentioned my last name. There was no nickname. It wasn't Coach because I wasn't really technically your coach yet. So I said, "Oh, my name is Keith Dent," and y'all thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> that y'all ever heard. <laughs> Well, what is the one thing you remember about the program and what was expected? I think um, I came in, much, I think you'd been there a while by the me more so getting acclimated to what was what was expected of a student athlete, so to speak. Um, so it was more so like there's actually somebody there to make sure students are doing what they need to do. I came from track and field. It wasn't so much of it. Um, but nonetheless, we were still on top of our game. But when it came to football, it was like there's a completely separate entity to make sure, you know what I'm saying, y'all guys are doing what needed to be done. And somebody was there to hold us accountable. And that was somewhat different. Because, it, again, it's a delicate song and dance because when you're football is a different game altogether. So people are trying to remember plays, trying to remember their position, trying to remember the techniques. And then you got people who play three-way. So you're playing offense, defense, special teams. Now you're talking to me about books? Like, come on, man. Like, it, it's a lot, but it was like, yo, you still got to do this. And I think it's the, for some of us, it was like the first time being held accountable for real, for real. Like, you know, mm-hmm. your, your guidance counselor, once he or she check out at three, that's it. But now there's somebody there after three. Like, oh, how do we navigate this? Yeah. Um. I mean, for me, 
it was more like you were like a mentor. Like I knew if I had situations, anything going on, even if it wasn't about sports, I was able to come talk to you. I don't know. Um, too many people know about my situation in high school when I wanted to commit suicide. And it was a situation that you reached out to me. That helped me a lot. I remember more so, you know, like I said, with the academics, you was on me with the ACL and SATs, filling out the um, college application. It was a schedule where I had to, you used to come peeking in the door to see if we was in class, just walking through the halls. You know, you seen that, y'all, you like, oh, damn, y'all, you gonna go tell the coach, or, you know, you're gonna lose some playing time, you know what I mean? It, it was that serious, you know? To be honest, you made a good impression on me. You gave me some type of structure inside of class that was inside of school that was still dealing with football. It was just like, I knew I had to do everything in class, but it just was like, because football was attached and I knew you was roaming around on top of it or asking about it. I had to be extra on top of it. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I appreciate you for that. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's one thing I wish that we had you longer, you know, like from freshman up to senior year. I just couldn't imagine how it would have been, you know, even if I probably wouldn't even went in the military, I probably would have just went to college straight from there. It was no gimmicks. I mean, not for nothing, but we all know Coach Lee. When he came in the locker room with the military bucket hat, we already knew <laughs> something different was about to happen. It was it was none of that. You know what I'm saying? It was real. It was, you know, this got to be done because this is the reason why. You know, when Coach, we just knew when Coach Lee came in and he was in a certain mood, we could pick it out. You know, there was a gimmick behind it, To I guess for lack of a better term. But, you know, when you were coming, it was just like, yo, did you do what you were supposed to do? Yes, no, you know, depending on what the answer is, then, you know, there's more to it behind it. But it was real genuine, and it was the same It was the same thing from day one until the day we graduated. And what about you, Ant? It was different for me because, you know, I, I my senior year when you came in, we had a whole new coaching staff anyway. I was already mad that my own, one of my favorite coaches did come along, <laughs> so I'm like, who this new guy? So as far as the, the academic part, like, it, like I, to be honest, it's crazy that, Nobody told me about Clearinghouse. Like, I didn't know anything about the NCAA Clearinghouse. Like, oh, you like, like I got to mm. get eligible to get a scholarship? <laughs> like, I got to do this? It's like, because, you know, I, I left University High School to come to Weekway because I wanted to be around my friends, which was a stupid move, but I wanted to be around my friends. So it's like, when I got to Weekway, I was like, oh, this is easy. So I, you know, I was cutting school, cutting mm. class and doing all that right, stuff, right. like, because it was easy. I like, I know I just show up for a test, take the test. <laughs> That's it. But I didn't realize that I needed to make sure I had a certain GPA. Like, my GPA was crappy. So my senior year, I, actually, I had to pull out a 4.0 just to get enough to cover my GPA portion of it. And then I found out about the ACT because of him. And that even though I was getting a scholarship or whatever, I had to still have to apply for college. Um, it, was, it was a good thing. It changed my mindset about, like, the academic part of being a, a scholar athlete. Because, like, I really didn't care about school, to be honest with you. It just, mm -hmm. you know. From what I'm hearing from you guys, the teachers didn't hold you guys accountable for the things that you needed to do in order to be successful. Um, I feel like some, some did, did yeah. but some of them did. But if you're winning, I mean, especially when it comes to sports, if you're winning, a lot of times it'd be like, uh, you know, you ain't do homework aside. You ain't you coming late to class aside. <laughs> it depends. It really depends. But most times they're not really asking you what your plans are. Or if, unless you're vocal about it. If you're not vocal and you're just going through it, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But for the most part, I think they left that up to the guidance counselors. And they suck. My four years, I had two guidance counselors. And I don't, I didn't see, I, I think I saw my last guidance counselor 
less than a handful of times. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we didn't have a rapport or anything like that. Um, he didn't know what I, I, what I needed or what I wanted to do, anything like that. So that's where we came and we leaned on you more, like, just like you leaned on us, you asked us questions like, yeah, what are you going to do? The answer is no. It's like, yo, you got to put pen to paper. You got to figure out your master plan after this. You can't come back here. You literally can't come back here unless you fail. But like, that's not an option. So what are you going to do? And so then you got out of high school. Once you left kind of that bubble, because it is kind of a bubble, even if you were dealing with, you know, even the gang stuff or whatever in the bubble. But once you got out of it, how did that affect you? How did that change your mindset? For me, uh, leaving, because I left the nest at 17. Um, I went, like I said, I went in the military. So I go to Chicago, go to boot camp. And the next thing you know, I'm stationed in Virginia. So that was my first time ever being away on my own. I ain't, like you said, leaving the bubble. I didn't have my parents. I had to pay bills. I think leaving kind of helped me because I think if I would have stayed around that environment, ain't no telling, I probably would have been dead. Probably would have still wanted to be, be a blood or affiliated and do all that other stuff. So it just was, I think it was a blessing once once I was able to to leave Nork. Not saying that Nork was bad, but just to be on my own to see that is more to life than than what I'm I'm seeing every day. And, and since you mentioned the you know the suicide, was that was the the environment which you're in? Was that what was kind of affecting you? Oh uh, no, I was dealing with some personal stuff at home. It was mainly with my dad at that time. Like he he didn't know. I don't think a lot of people knew. It just was one of those like I just like whatever with life at that. I just was happy that you know a lot of people reached out to me during that time. You you just go through stuff with your parents that they don't know you go through. Yeah. Um. So it was just just a rough time at that time. But I'm glad I'm here right now. I actually did a song about a suicide <laughs> you know, years ago. And my son, my oldest son, had the same feeling. Um. But it wasn't dealing with me. I'm glad. But it was right. something that he was dealing with. But I was able to express to him like, you know, I went through that too. This is how I got through it. And he's literally right next to me right now. So I'm happy for that. In that journey, if you hadn't gone through that journey, you wouldn't have been able to do what you didn't get. So I think that's mm -hmm. great. That's awesome. When you, once you, Antoine, I got to call you Richmond. This close to two Antoines. Uh, <laughs> call him Udi. Udi, yeah, Udi. All right. Um, once you got out, you know, what was it, what was it like for you? Well, once I graduated, I ended up going to King University. Uh, I played football for a year. Did, I did all right with the academics and everything, but I was more so focused on the football. Like it was a hectic schedule. It was way increased in high school. You get what I'm saying? And I just didn't adjust well to that, all of that. On top of the financial part of it, you know, every year increases me wanting to stay on campus. The gang culture kind of followed me up to campus for my freshman year. Still was doing it, still was, you know, being mischievous in college. I didn't full-time live on campus. I was you know, going back and forth, you know, so I still had the connection to both. It, it really didn't change much for me until I actually had to leave school and get a job. You know what I mean? And then I had no time for anything. And why did you have to leave school? Well, like I said, the financial reason, mm -hmm. first off, so I, I didn't continue for that reason. Mm -hmm. Once that done, you know, it, I'm, it ain't no sitting at home. Right, right. You know, so you got to do what you got to do. Antoine Johnson? Whew. I mean, it just, it just helped me be prepared. But the only problem was that I was so nervous about being in college and thinking that it was going to be this different type of experience. It was going to be so hard and so all this stuff. And then I actually get to college. I was like, this is easy. 
But the hard part was, is just that, you know, you're not, like you said, you're not in that bubble. You're not in that same bubble. So it's like, you know, you don't have to go to class. <laughs> like, you ain't so, got a dent. You ain't got a dent telling you in a hole. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, with football, we had study halls. So it wasn't like, you know, they didn't really check this because you were in college. So, you know, and where were you? And where were you? I went, um, my first semester was on team. So it okay. wasn't, it wasn't, um, nobody was checking, you know, they just say, Hey, be at practice. And, you know, you got five o'clock in the morning practice. <laughs> if we, you know, if we did something we weren't supposed to do and then all the other stuff, but, and that kind of messed me up a little bit because I was like, you know what, I'm just going to have my same schedule like high school. Like I'm just going to go to school from eight because we couldn't have classes after what, three o'clock, I think it was. So just like, I'm just going to have classes eight to three, but it's like, at eight o'clock, I was like, I'm not getting up. So when I got to college, it was it was a shock because, and not a shock that it was hard. It was like I didn't expect it to be this easy, but I don't have nobody making me go to class either. That was the the hardest part, the, the hardest adjustment. Like actually wanting to go to class, I was like, I don't have to go to class. Right, right. So and, and that's a big adjustment for anybody. You know, you don't have to be an athlete. Yeah. And Hassan, what about you? This this was kind of funny. So when I left Westside. I ended up going to Keystone College in uh, in PA. Getting acclimated to college life was a culture shock because, yeah, like Antoine said, you ain't gotta go to class, but it's an expensive price for not going to class. <laughs> so you know, acclimating to like, there's nobody there to hold you accountable. There's no professor. Professors aren't asking you if you did this, if you did that. If you didn't do it, okay, whatever. You just didn't do it. So that part I had to adjust to, but the the social aspect of it, I can't even lie. After I got past the the surroundings of it, it was it was almost like home. And the only reason it was like home is because everybody, and I mean everybody, ended up going to Lackawanna. So you go, <laughs> you go to like uh, Thursday night was college night. So you go to Scranton in the town, whatever. And I ran into Jimmy Massenberg out there. I ran wow. into Clark out there. Uh, just so, yo, what you doing up here? What you doing up here? What you doing up? Y'all go to Lackawanna, and it was like, damn, this home all over again. Like, so it, it felt it, it. It was a little camaraderie there, just a little bit. Although we didn't, you know, we didn't connect like that. But it was just like, oh, I ain't the only one out here trying to navigate life after high school. But after you get your first transcript, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, so it was the, it was more so the discipline. Well, that's good. I I thought I was gonna have to apologize to you for for sending for sending you there because you always said, "Oh, don't send me there. Don't. I'm not going to Keystone." I was like, "You're going." I ain't Keystone. even gonna hold you. I could have just went to Essex County and been better off. But <laughs> <laughs> that's another conversation. It was cool to get away though. Exactly, you got the experience. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. So. So you got your degree. How did it feel, Hassan, to get to get your degree? Uh, well, it took me a while. So I, did, I ended up not getting it from Keystone. I got uh, I got my associates from Essex, bachelor's from um, Keene, and I got my master's from Rutgers. But um, my first degree, it was just like, yeah, you can do this. Like you can actually do this for as long as you know. It, I felt almost like a career student before, as long as I could remember. When I was in school, it was like, yo, if you apply yourself, you'll be such a better student. But it's just like any like responsibility is not fun, you know what I'm saying? Unless you unless you 
you're only going to do what you want to do, which is why most of us honed in on sports because sports was fun. Hated practice. You just like the game day. Practice was responsibility. So it was just that. And I think I'm probably in my immediate family. Uh, I think I was maybe like the third one with a college degree. Mm. So it was like, yo, you can do this. It's not going to be as easy as one, two, three, but it's the bottom line. So, you know, that's, that's how it felt. And then um, when I got my master's, it was almost like, holy shit, like, <laughs> yeah, you can really, really do this. Like, you never really, th- it's like when I, when I turned, like, I just turned 35. I never thought I would make it to 35. Not that I thought that I would die, but you don't plan that far ahead. And when you reach this, like, yo, I'm here now. You just go forward, you know what I'm saying? Whatever your plan is, you just go forward. Did you guys That's think that, think you would, you think you would make it to 35? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think. Yeah, it's not something you plan on. Yeah. I didn't plan on it. Yeah. In your twenties and your teens, you don't be thinking about think about none of that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. definitely wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest with you, that's also part of our upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're not taught those things, mm-hmm. you don't learn to do those things. You know what I mean? Like you, you take it as you go, or you take it as it seems. This is what you know. Yeah, I agree with that. I probably would have been better off. If I had actually planned ahead, had a had a set out plan what I was gonna do. My my plan was like I hate school. I'm gonna finish school in three years. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be in the NFL somewhere, and that's it. That was that was that was my whole plan. And then you know, that was a dream for me too, being in the NFL. <laughs> oh, I was about to say I had I had one shot. <laughs> that's what actually brought me to Atlanta the first time was the the, the tryout. I was on a, a mini camp for a freaking with the Falcons and. You know, NFL is a brutal business. <laughs> I pulled my hamstring on like the second day and it was over for me. It was it. it was, I ain't never had an injury before. So you just you just decided to, uh, uh, it was an open tryout just to attend? No, it, I got invited to minicamp. To, that's like a tryout, but it's like. Oh, you got invited. They try to, to minicamp, they try to make the, the training camp team. Because where were you playing, where were you playing before before that? Oh, uh, Kings and Ruffles. Yeah, to piggyback off, um, I think a lot of times when it comes to, especially the black community, we don't have like, um, everything is about sports, I feel like sometimes, like basketball, football, always going to be there, but it's never pushing like what a person really like to do as far as music. Like I do music and a lot of people didn't know I do music until I was in my 20s and 30s, but I was doing music the entire time I was in high school, but it wasn't no programs or anything to have that outlet to do music. I think... Um, that's what we're missing in the black community. Yeah, that's the problem. But that's and that's another thing. We the, the resources in the black community sucks. Like you like you said, you know, the reason everybody pushed football and basketball because that's cheap sports. Like, you know, it's other sports that we could have been playing too as well. But I want the cheap. wrestle. We ain't even have a wrestling team, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man, it came later. It came after me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, it you. came after me. I would have wrestled. I wouldn't want to wrestle. I want the box. <laughs> But my dad, you know, he he took me one time to go do the boxing, and then they was closed, and he never take me again. So, <laughs> like, okay. I will ch- challenge you that if you do want to get your degree, you still can. And so, even in whatever you're passionate about, or if you're whatever field that you're in, uh, because it it can help you. And even you may think four years is a long time, but it's you know, look, it's not. If that's your desire. Um, you know, by all means, don't don't let that hold you back. Yeah, I'm, I'm a certified engineer. 
uh, music oh. engineer. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I've, I've I've done it after I got out the military. I did a little bit of schooling. I'm probably about a year. If I if I go back, I'm just about a year just to get my associates. It's like iffy with me. I I, I kind of need some structure with school and football. Honestly, for me, it was structure. It like yeah. If if I couldn't play the game because my grades and I'm going to push harder. My whole thing was I didn't want to be in school for forever and then come out and make an entry level of thirty five thousand dollars a year. I was like, well, what's the purpose? <laughs> like, I, like because then you come out and they say you don't have any experience. Like, well. It, how I'm supposed to get the experience, and you gonna give me thirty five? They're like, that's not even gonna cover the first year's tuition. My that's that's you know that was one of my that was one of the reasons I end up um, not finishing because I was like I, I just I'm like this is dumb to me. But I'm not saying that having an education is dumb, but it's just you know sometimes depending on your situation and where you you know how we grow up, especially as black black men, you know it's it's it, it we don't have. The financial backing. It's more so weighing the options. Where you're gonna be at 35, then you you may think that it's not worth it, and it's and it's understandable, uh, especially if you don't have somebody on your on your on your back telling oh, you, yeah. oh well, look, you know, seeing the long term, which is and it's all good. You guys have been found your path, or you found something that gives you meaning. So, um, and so with that said, what what is the what is the thing that you feel most proud of? Growth. When I was younger, it was everything was you're, you're going. It was about speed. Forget the direction of it. Everything was action, not analytics and you, you things of that sort. But as I grew, I was able to I don't want to say slow down life, but be able to look at life at a certain from a certain vantage point and figure out what the traps are, what the problem is with our communities, and what's not being done for the the future generation even figuring out um where i went wrong or my generation i always say you know the generation before me they were like big brothers uncles what have you they they looked out for us you know if they caught us skipping school uh disrespecting adults this whatever it was it was there was consequences for it. we got hard to the body and whatever the case is my generation we didn't look out for the ones behind us and they the ones outside now acting crazy for example i can't call a time that somebody recommended to me going to a historical historical black college we had the military all up and through our school as if you know they they lived there you know what i'm saying not everybody wants to go there we we from jersey so Rutgers was the end all be all like Rutgers was the thing but nobody said yo won't you go to a black school nobody pushed that to me you know what I'm saying? Hey, why don't you go into, why don't you get a trade? See what happens there. Yeah, it was just like, come talk with this recruiter. Well, I got to talk to the recruiter. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Sometimes school is not for everybody. No, nobody really, like you said, nobody pushed the trade. We got a reality check where some of us had to go to King. You know what I'm saying? Some of us had to, and it was like, yo, it ain't D1, but I'm going to do this. It, you still got mm -hmm. to walking your path for that time being as much as you could, but it was a hard reality check because it was just like, yo, I might not be able to go where I initially wanted to go. So growth. Okay. Udi, what about you? I'm going to say, yeah, growth, growth is a big thing, man. I ain't, ain't going to lie. Growth and maturity, you know, gaining responsibility, having two kids. Just have, like he said, you know, having to have that realization that, you know, this dream might not work. So it's just like when I went to school, I never thought I was going to go to the NFL or anything. I always wanted to own something. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I knew I wanted to own something to have an investment. I got the house first. That was my first step. You know, I put put my family in the house and then try to save some money to be able to get a second income. That was that was my first thing. You know, just growth, maturity, learning, 
trying to learn, you know, stuff about banking CDs. And you never learned about any of these type of things. And then they hit you and it's just like, oh, shit, I got a lot of learning to do at a late age. So it's just like you, you learn it, you do the best you can and you navigate the best you can. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think, especially as adults, we don't even think about those things. We're so concerned about making sure you guys get A's and B's in your subjects that we don't think, oh, that they you, that you guys are going to be adults and you're going to need to know about banking um, if you do buy a house. Just the process of navigating buying a house is daunting for anyone. So let alone if you haven't had anyone to teach you. I can understand that that being such a intimidating factor. And, uh, and I mean, and I know the state has done a lot now with making sure they have financial literacies in the schools, but the fact that you guys didn't get to learn that, and, and we are feeling the process because one of that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why we probably just don't have the the home ownership in the black community because of that fact. I don't know if you remember, but when I got my uh, my financial aid letter and you had to come to the golf course where I was working to actually read it to me. To, sh to tell me like, yo, this is what's expected of you because I didn't know how to break it down. Mm. Like I was just like, All right, I got a financial aid letter. I don't know what none of this means. I just know I'm going away to school, but that's it. And it was <laughs> like, nah, bro, this mean this, that mean that, da, 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 da. But school, it was the summertime. School is over. I don't have a guidance counselor to go to. None of my parents went to school. You know what I'm saying? Beyond high school. If I bring this to them, they're not going to know what it is. But mm. the fact that you were still there. We still had access to you after, you know, during summer hours, whatever the case was, you know, that was helpful. Antoine Johnson, what was, um, what do you feel most accomplished about? To be able to be 35 is an accomplishment in itself. You know, a lot of people don't make it to be 35. A lot of black men don't make it to be 35. And to kind of do what I didn't, to kind of do what I said I wanted to do in a sense. Like I said, I didn't want to be a status quo. I didn't want to be status quo black man. I didn't want to be the stereotype that they make, you know, for especially growing growing up in North, you know, they made a whole movie about North, <laughs> you know, and so people had that stereotype. But yeah, so um, that, that was one of the biggest accomplishments and to be able to do stuff outside of even felling, you know, uh, where a lot of people don't, a lot of, a lot of times people don't understand that the best way to succeed is to fail. And, you know, felling and, you know, not finishing school, not doing all this other thing. And then you have to navigate and figure out other ways to, to get to the same goal. Like, I always wanted to learn about finance. So it, it was something I wanted to learn to be able to bring back to the community. Like, I always wanted to be a stockbroker and I was able to be a stockbroker, you know, and I didn't finish school. So I still was able to get, you know, I still got, I have, I have licenses. That 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 makes me be able to get. I can get paid. I get paid more than people with degrees. That's that's a big accomplishment to be able to do things and figure it and, and navigate in other ways around it. Like, okay, I messed up right here. So how I'm still gonna? How, how, what am I gonna do to still get to the end game? To learn all of this stuff and to give it back to the community. To be able to to talk about life insurance and talk about stocks and own home ownership and multiple streams of income and all of that different things. I didn't finish school, but I figured out another way around it. <laughs> so okay. I feel like it's a, it's a big accomplishment to be able to have my own business doing what I said I wanted to do. We all have stories. Uh, just like Tim was saying about his, you know, his, his situation when he was in school, he was able to help his son navigate through that same issue because he went through it. Everything that we've been through, you know, in, in life, um, through college, through high school, through football, it was to be able to help somebody else along the way. And that's where sometimes we get confused with generational wealth. Everybody, we always talking about leaving generational wealth, 
But um, generational wealth is more than just leaving things behind and leaving money behind. It's also leaving, leaving resources and knowledge. And that wisdom. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and, and so, so that's the problem that we have in the black community is that some of like, the knowledge hasn't been passed down. And we, a lot of times we want to, and we, we make it bad by saying that it's a generational curse. That's a negative thing. So now we speak in that curse for the next generation. We're like, oh, it's a generational curse. But it's not really generational curse. It's just generational ignorance that we just didn't know. You know, the, the people before us didn't know. Mm. So... The accomplishment now for me is that, that I do know, so pass I can right. pass it down and I can help other people. Great. Tim? For me, I guess it would be being married for as long as I've been married, honestly, because, you know, in, in the hood, people don't last that long. Mm. <laughs> being married, 12 years. 12 years. Fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, I have four, four boys, one girl. So those, those are my proudest moments as far as my family. Um. I, I know for me, anything I set my mind to, I'm going to do it regardless. And Udi can test that. Like, whatever I feel like I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. It's no stopping. I'll stop. I will neglect the family sometimes, which is bad. But if my mind is on it to get it done, <laughs> I have to do it. And that's just how I've been programmed ever since high school. So I don't really, that's really about it for me. Uh, my family is the proudest moment for me. Mm, that's great. And so that that does lead to my next question. Since you uh, were on the on that, and your kids, five beautiful children, and three of you, I think, as far as I know, three of you had kids. What are some of the things you try to instill in your kids that it hadn't been given to you? My wife is is like so good as far as like what she want our boys to be. Um, like they were saying. I don't have financial literacy like that. You know, I had to learn how I learned. Nobody taught me anything. So that's one thing that we teach our kids about saving interest rates and things like that. Because, you know, when you in the black black family, ain't no, you don't know what your parents paying for rent. You don't know. You just see them stressed out and you don't even know why. But it's because of money and things like that. And I think that if we taught that at a younger age, like some other cultures teach their kids, or they get them credit cards and build their credit. So by the time they become of age to do anything, they already had a 700, 800 credit score or whatever. And they're able to do things that an 18 year old like us from the hood can't really do because we don't, we never had a credit card. <laughs> we didn't have nothing in our name besides a cable bill if they <laughs> decided to do that. But <laughs> one thing is definitely with my, with my boys is trying to teach them about financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Udi? I got two little girls, so you know, you know, just trying, just trying to raise them and just trying to be a good example of a good man. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want them to grow up and choose the wrong guy. You know what I'm saying? So I always gotta, you know, walk on the right path and you know, always be seen in a good light to them. Yeah, I should have pulled up some of those those Facebook pics you got dressing up and stuff. You got to, man. You gotta get in the character. You gotta do all of that. You know what I'm saying? Just, it's, it's more more so about memories. You know, when they get old, they gonna they gonna remember me in my Batman costume walking around with them every Halloween in the cold, no matter what, you know, they, they, they gonna remember them things and, you know, just, just always being there because mom wasn't there for me. So it's just like, I refuse to be that type of an example. Awesome. Antoine? I wasn't, I was never held accountable for anything when I was younger. I got away with a lot of stuff, like just because I was considered a good kid. So it was like, I got away with a lot of stuff and it, it, it hurt as I got older because now, <laughs> Mm -hmm. All this stuff is coming on, but that's one of the that's one of the things that I want to you know instill in accountability, you know, accept 
what you did. You know that you was wrong, accept that you was wrong and fix it and not do it again. And, you know, also the, the financial literacy and, you know, what I've learned and in life. Well, this has been fantastic. And I've learned I've, I've learned some things today. So so as we kind of close out and Haas, since you didn't get, you know, you don't have any kids, right? Haas over there taking care of them degrees, though. <laughs> so I have a I have a goddaughter and I also have I don't like the word stepdaughter, but I have a, a stepdaughter. What I try to teach her is, you know, she's young, so she's 10. So everything is all bubbles and cotton candy and mm. it's not going to be that. You know, so uh, this year we put her in um, her first team sport, which was uh, Chilean, and she got to understand the notion of team. So when your your teammates are cutting up and y'all got to run laps because of one person, that's just what it is. She's still in the mindset that, oh, I'm a good person, so good should come back to me. So it's just like, no, you got to face adversity to be able to know how you're going to handle it. Mm. You know, so it's it's a tough lesson to learn, but... um, she, I feel like she has to learn it because mm-hmm. it's, it's right. gonna. I went to school, uh, you know, got the keystone, and the first sign of adversity, people were just folding left and right. To them, it was catastrophic. I gotta, I gotta call my moms. I gotta call my dad, and that's not. That's nothing. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta prepare. You know, you, it's a delicate song. You gotta be tough, and you also gotta be, you know, soft and be willing to. Um, be taught. Mm. So, you know, I'm just trying to teach her that, you know, and also be um, a father figure for her because she, her father is no longer alive. So, mm. you know, so I gotta be, I gotta be open, you know, whereas right. when I was coming up, I couldn't go talk to, I, I grew up with my grandparents. I couldn't go talk to them and tell them what was wrong with me and stuff like that. I was a kid. They were adults. They said I did. That was it, you know? So, um, <laughs> I'm just trying, you know, just be there in case anything happens. She understands that she can come and talk to me. Well, I mean, there's no play it smart for dads, but if y'all ever have any questions, you know, don't, <laughs> don't hesitate to reach out. But what's on what's on your mind just as men? Well, I'm thankful for my boy, Antoine Richmond. Antoine, actually, he, like, we've been friends since high school, and I know that if I ever need anything, if I'm going through anything, I can call that brother right there. And he like, yo, what's good? All right, whatever. We can meet up this weekend. We, I really, I just wanted to make that known. That I appreciate you, bro. Like, you know what I mean? I love you, man. Um, and that's one thing that I think we need to show black people that we love each other. Like, I'm just happy, man. Happy that everybody's in here doing good and good seeing you guys. Yeah, I really, I do appreciate that, man. I really do. I love you too, my brother. And you, you already know that. Um, you're, you're like one person that I can call at all times, at any time, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have been rocking with me from the beginning. Yeah, I'm appreciative to be sitting here with you guys, you know what I mean? My man over here, three degrees, you know what I'm saying? You stock market broker, you know what I'm saying? I'm proud of my black fellas up here, dent over there glowing. My wife said he out here looking like Trump. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm proud of everybody. You know, as a man and the stuff that's been on my mind is just, like this is great to see, you know, to see other brothers from North. One of the things that 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 I see now is like everybody follow trends, and it's like, come on, man. Because it's like if you're not the person, if you're not following the trend, you're not black. You, you know, Uncle Sam and you, Uncle Tom, and all the other stuff. Um, that that's one of the things that's been like that's one of the things that's been on my mind as a man, just seeing everybody follow these trends and 
you know, not be men, like I like not see men be men and step up as fathers and as leaders, step up in the community and, you know, things like that. Because believe it or not, like growing up and look, we still had some type of people that kind of kept us in line. Yeah, the OGs. Yeah. <laughs> like they the OGs, they definitely kept you in line. They kept, they kept us in line a little bit. So we didn't we wasn't, you know, we might have been wild, but we wasn't that wild. Like now you look at these kids now, it's like no respect. It's just, like, you know, I take, I take, I, and I take blame for that too because you know I, I haven't, I haven't done anything. You know, the change that we want to see is start with me first. So you know, so those, those are some of the things that's been on my mind as a man. All right, Uwe, yeah, go ahead. I, I agree with you, um, Mr. Johnson, because I, I, I don't give back to the community as, like, you know, as I, you know, should because I wanted to get out of that situation so bad. Like, I wanted to get out and be done with it. So why would I, you know, go back and ingratiate myself with it and get caught up, you know, get get sucked back into it? So it's just like now I'm just I'm like, look, I'm just going to teach mine to be the best person that they can be. Maybe they can, you know, learn something and change something moving forward and be the better person and do things that I couldn't do or that I didn't do. Because I, I I'm not going to say I took the blame for that because I'm like I wanted to be out. I wanted to get. Out. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not I'm not far. You know what I mean? I'm 15, 20 minutes away. I live right in Belleville. I bought my house right in Belleville, but you can consider it the suburb. It's like, I wanted to be out. So it's just like, I'm not going to take the blame for that. I'm still learning and still going. So I'm not going to take the blame, man. I'm just happy to be here and, and grateful. That's what's on my mind as a black man is um, balance. That's, that's going to be an ongoing thing, regardless of how old we turn. You know what I'm saying? You're always going to have to remain um balance that was something that i don't think my my father knew how to do or my grandfather knew how to do all they knew how to do was what their idea of a man was to be was just be an enforcer and pay for stuff you know so for me it's just a matter of you know remaining a student remaining uh an enforcer uh a lover a partner so on and so forth you know so just remaining balanced so that way I don't sacrifice too much. You know, you could be, you could be a, a, a great parent, but a horrible husband. You know what I'm saying? You, it, what does that, that doesn't help your, your, your nucleus community that much. You know what I'm saying? If you're sacrificing the whole thing. So it's like, you have to figure out how to do a little bit of everything to remain, you know, limber. Great, great way to, to uh, close out the show. But thank you guys for being on tonight. Um, I really appreciate it. I love you guys. You guys are, you know, I am. I feel blessed that I was able to to be a part of your lives. You still are. For a short period of time. <laughs> um, and um, and thank you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. We appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, Coach Dan. Since you got a name now. <laughs> what a great way to close out 2020. I feel very proud of these young men and how they have grown up despite the obstacles and lack of resources living in the city of Newark in the early 2000s. I hope they're able to reach back and touch some 17-year-olds that are in the same position that they were almost 20 years ago. I'm especially proud of the small role I was able to play in shaping their lives. Brothers, let's make it a goal in 2021 to find a way to do a better job of this to the young men that need us because, brothers, they need us. As we always do, we will end with a quote. And last quote of 2020 will come from August Woodson. 
He says, confront the dark parts of yourself and work to banish them with illumination and forgiveness. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. Black Men Speak was written and produced by me, Keith Dent, and edited by Grace Chung. I look forward to season two of new episodes that will inform and inspire black men to be their best selves, not only for their families, but also their communities in which they live. Remember, you can catch us wherever you find your favorite podcasts, like Apple, Spotify, and Pandora. Happy New Year.